Welcome, everyone. Glad you chose to be here tonight. All right, uh, tonight we uh, are going to open a new chapter of the book, uh, the, the Temple of Power, and we're going to talk about uh, success and success and money. They're kind of tied together in most of our minds, and so there'll be a lot of overlap in this, this week and next week. Uh, the, the video today is a guy named uh, Chuck Bentley. Uh, he's, uh, he's actually done some interviews and stuff on Focus on the Family. If you look him up, you can find uh, other things that he's talked about. But he's, um, he's a big finance guy, and so it's kind of his story uh, today. So hopefully it will be some encouragement to us, and then we'll continue uh, after he's finished. Sound okay for everybody? I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but at some point in 2009, God died. No one saw it coming. Just a few years earlier, everything seemed fine. Many people refused to admit it. Slowly, though, it was hard not to come around and accept it because the evidence just kept mounting up. You couldn't turn on the television without seeing some kind of story that pointed to the fact that God was dead. And because God died, many of his worshipers lost hope. Their hope was in God. God was supposed to provide a secure future. God was supposed to meet their needs. Now that God is dead, his worshipers are terrified. Their security was in God. They feel depressed. They have found happiness in God. They feel lost. Now that God is dead, many feel like there's no reason to live. There's just nothing left. You see, your God is determined by what you put your trust in. And so for most people, money is their God. And when the economy collapsed, for many, God died. There are gods at war within each of us. They battle for the throne of our hearts and much is at stake. For whichever God wins that war gains control over us and ultimately determines our destinies. In scripture, money is most often portrayed as God's chief competition. Now money, of course, is amoral. It's not good or bad in and of itself. But it all too easily becomes a substitute for the Lord God. It's for this reason that Jesus spent so much time dealing with the subject of money. He talks more about money than he talks about heaven and hell combined. He talks more about money than about prayer. And when Jesus spoke on the subject of idolatry in the Sermon on the Mount, his only application was in the area of money. And here's his conclusion in Matthew 6, verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Mm -hmm. 
I was raised in a Christian home and had the privilege of attending a church that presented the gospel frequently. When I was seven years old, I stepped into the center aisle and walked right straight down front and uh, asked to pray with the pastor that Jesus would come into my heart, and he did. I never doubted that God was my Father, that I had been born again, that I knew Him in an intimate way. And I remember thinking when I got out of school and sort of began the workaday life, uh, what do you do that really uh, defines you? And it seemed the most logical thing was to try to become as successful as possible in the business world. Everything that had to do with the internet was absolutely red hot. In those boom years, we had any kind of idea that might work, then people got excited about it. So I started a company, and to my surprise, uh, I was able to raise all the seed capital in just a couple of weeks. We raised $1.2 million to start my company. I own founder stock options, a lot of uh, benefits with this company. A venture firm out in the Silicon Valley of California saw our business plan and picked us as one of the 60 best seed stage companies in the whole world. Money started chasing us. I was sure that my ship would come in. This was going to be the home run fall time. And I became very, very caught up in this. I made a deal with God. You, know, you bless me, and I will give you all the glory. And I began to work seven days a week. And by that, I mean every single day. Because nothing became as important as the IPO. I got completely pulled into this vortex of defining my life by the success of this company. My wife began to worry about me. She began to think that uh, this success might be devastating to us as a family because it had taken control of my life. I was glazed over. The lights were on, but nobody was home. I would come home from the office. I would get back on the phone. I would get back on the internet. And I would work, 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 work. Man wanted to know what happened to me. How did she lose her husband? I remember assuring her that nothing was the matter. I was doing this all for her benefit. And what, what, what was the problem with this? You know, we were going to get fabulously wealthy. One of the reasons money has the potential to become such a powerful idol in our lives is that we have a tendency to look to money to do for us the very things that God wants to do. And so we start to ascribe to money these divine characteristics. For example, God wants to be our source of significance, but we have this tendency to think that if we just had enough wealth, then we would be significant. We start to determine our value by our valuables. We think of our self-worth in terms of our net worth. We'll even speak of other people this way. So how much is that person worth? And we think of their value in terms of their income or their portfolio. Or God wants to be the one who satisfies us, but we think with enough money, then I'd be satisfied. In the Old Testament, a name for God is Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord will provide. And God wants to be the one to meet our needs, but we think if I only had enough money, then my needs would be met. All my problems would be answered. If I could just earn enough or save enough or spend enough, then I would be satisfied. And so people worship the God of money thinking that they can find satisfaction in a box or buy it off the rack or order it off the internet. 
drive it off the lot. So we sacrifice so much on the altar of the God of money. We think that in doing so, we will find security, significance, satisfaction. And before long, we start to think that this God should be our purpose for living. A friend asked me one day if I had any goals. He said, people with goals achieve more in life, and it's proven if you write them down or yours written down. And I said, oh, they're just there in my head. I, I have them. And he said, let me tell you mine. So he opened his wallet, and he started reading his goals. One of them was to have a gold presidential Rolex watch. He said, I think I'll have a gold presidential Rolex watch this year. But Chuck, I've gone even further. I've, I've decided to write down what it's going to cost me to achieve that goal. And I thought he was going to give me a dollar prize. And he said, it's going to cost me uh, less time with my family. Well, I've got another goal. I want to be a member of one of the biggest country clubs in town. I'm going to have to give up one family vacation. And he said, that's what it's going to cost me. But I'll be able to achieve these two goals pretty, pretty shortly. And as he talked about that, I realized my goals are pretty simple. So I started writing them down, the ones that were in my head. And I looked at my list, and not one single goal in my life was a spiritual goal. Not one. Every goal was around money and my work and my network. I was willing to pay any price to accomplish those goals. The more that I felt like I was going to be successful, the more I gave over to this uh, desire to take this company public, hit it big, and then turn around and say, this was all because God gave it to me. So I had negotiated this deal, and in my mind I was convinced that it was sort of the perfect balanced portfolio. I had a little Jesus and a lot of money. My wife asked me if I would attend a Bible study with her to learn what the Bible said about money. There was this class offered at church called uh, Crown Financial Ministries course, and I dismissed it. And I could tell that hurt her feelings, and it worried her. And she finally came to me and said, I'm really worried about you. I think you're gone. I think you're uh, just completely, you've given yourself over out of concern for our relationship. I said, I'm going Something happened to me that uh, dramatically changed my life. Uh, in the course, we were required to read the Bible. And I came to 2 Kings chapter 17 in verse 40 and 41. In that passage, God is chastising the Israelites. And he said, you worshiped God with your mouth, but you served your own idols. And when I read that passage, it was as if the Bible itself had become a mirror. And I looked down at the Bible and I saw my own reflection. That was me. They worshiped God, but they served their own idols. So the dichotomy was between worship and serving. And I never thought there was a difference. If I sat in church and worshiped God, then I was, I was complete. I was integrated. But this distinction said that you can worship one God and serve another. I didn't know it was possible. 
That's exactly what I was trying to do. I am an idolater because I'm serving money. And then the Lord took me to the New Testament when He said, You cannot serve both God and money. So I began to think, Am I really serving money? And what's so wrong with that? Is there something wrong with serving money? So I asked him, what do you want me to do to serve you? And the answer came back, I want you to die to the love of this world and all the things in this world and all the things that you've ascribed to money, those come from me. I didn't have a money problem, I didn't think. It wasn't debt that was my problem. It wasn't budgeting or even giving. And like the rich young ruler who was doing pretty well with money, it was my identity. And Jesus challenged the rich young ruler to give away his identity. And at that moment, I said, Lord, I just need to confess, I am an idolater. Money is on the throne of my heart. It is invisible, but it has taken me captive. And I don't know how to get out of it. How do I transfer my identity into Christ and to trust that if I do that, He's not going to take every pain away from me? That's what I was afraid of. I was, I was terrified that if I sort of let go of my grip on the world, because I had a pretty good grip on it, that God wasn't going to treat me fairly. I got to Matthew 6 and He said, Go in your closet and pray. So I did. I thought, you know, I've never done that. I, I had a little closet. I went inside there and closed the door. I stood there, completely dark. I looked up and said, Here I am, Lord. And you said to pray. And I just want to tell you, don't take the company away from me, please. I don't want to lose that. But if you're asking me to trust you with everything and to find my identity in you, that's what I'm wrestling with. And I'll let go of it, God. And I'll love you with all my heart, with all my soul. And I'm sorry that I fell in love with you. And when I came out of that closet, I was a changed man. If you pulled out a dollar bill, you would notice that there's a four-word statement written on our currency. It says, in God we trust. The irony, of course, is that so many people have decided to put their trust in money. What would be more accurate is if there were a question mark at the end of that statement, and God we trust question mark, because money does tend to answer the question of what we put our trust in. So let me ask you, what have you put your trust in? If I could get a little bit more specific, what do you complain about? Does it tend to be your financial status? What do you sacrifice your time for? Would your calendar show that money is your highest priority? What do you worry the most about? Retirement fund, gas prices, house payment? What do you dream of? Is it something with a price tag attached to it? David said in the Psalms, Some trusted chariots, some trusted horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. I went to New York City in March of 2000. And I went to the offices of Warburg Pincus. They're one of the largest equity investment firms in the entire world. 
And they were looking at becoming my partner to take us public that year. And the very day that I was in New York City, that's the day that history records that the internet bubble burst. In March of 2000, NASDAQ fell from 5,200. It lost nine points of market share in just two weeks' time. It started falling, 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 falling. And suddenly, my internet stock started falling in value just as rapidly. The window closed overnight. It was dramatic. It was over. It didn't sting any longer to have lost the things of this world. It brought to mind the passage in Hebrews 10 when it said they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property because they knew they had better and lasting possessions. All of that striving, all of that yearning was gone. And God showed me that there was much more to knowing Him and the riches found in Christ than all the riches that I could have ever earned on Wall Street. We all have some price on our head, some bounty that we sell out for. Something that we want more than Him. That's what an idol is. And mine was money. And my bounty, the bounty on my head, I have to admit to you, was $10 million. Ultimately, that's what I really wanted. I wanted to be able to say, I'm a $10 million man. I'm embarrassed. I would have turned my back on the board just for $10 million. But He replaced it with far more that I, that I actually lost because my life became so much better, my, my joy and contentment. And I look back and I think, how did I get trapped in that? It was my own prison. In my life, I've had seven friends who've committed suicide. Seven personal acquaintances. All men, and they all have one common denominator. They had failed in the area of their finances. And it so devastated them personally that they took their own life because they didn't know how to deal with that loss. Their identity was in their net worth. And I think the Lord mercifully took that away from me that that's not your identity. About the last thing I wanted to do was to be involved in a ministry. In fact, I went to a friend and asked him for counsel. He was a pretty straight shooter. He said, well, I'd like you to go home and tell your wife these three things. Number one, between 40 and 60 are the highest income earning years of your life. Ask her if she wants you to throw those away in a ministry. Number two, men don't respect men who go into ministry. They respect men who build big businesses and use that as their platform ministry. I was stunned a little bit. And number three, I don't think this ministry you're talking about in the area of money is really all that important. If you're going to do that, join an important ministry. I went home and I sat down with Ann and she said, hey, how'd lunch go? First of all, I need to tell you, between 40 and 60 are highest income earning years. Is it okay with you if we throw them away, if we join this ministry? She didn't blink at her. 
She looked at me and she said, would you ask him a question? What years of his life would he like to give to the Lord? His highest income years or his lowest? I think it'd be a delight to give our highest income years in God's service. I said, secondly, honey, he said, men don't respect men who go into ministry. They respect men who build big businesses and use it as their platform. She said, well, you just tried that. <laughs> that didn't seem to be God's plan for your life. And besides, I respect him. It changed everything for me to hear those words. And I said, well, one more. He said this idea of teaching people about money is not that important. And she said, honey, I think it's one of the most important things you could ever do. I think it's why God intercepted your life on the road to Wall Street. That he wanted to use you to tell other people what idolatry really is. And you know, since that time, I've had the privilege of teaching people all over the world. I never dreamed that when I said yes to the Lord, that he might take away $10 million in stock options and provide back priceless, absolute priceless moments in my life that I could never have purchased at all. Never. The real problem with idolatry is that we look to something other than Jesus for salvation. So we trade what Jesus offers in hopes that something else will save us. We're lonely, and we look to a relationship for salvation. We're depressed, we look to food for salvation. We're rejected, we look to pornography for salvation. We're worried, and we look to money for salvation. We trade what Jesus offers for what a false god offers. But ultimately, that false god does nothing but reveal our need for a true Savior. Only Jesus is worthy of our worship because only Jesus saves. Could I quote for you the words of one of my favorite old hymns? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I used to love money. I'm embarrassed to tell you. I loved it like it would love me back. And it was a terrible thing to fall in love. But today I can say, I love God. The greatest thing I could leave you with is that after hearing this series, that you could say, I now have only one master, the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think? <laughs> did that speak to anybody in here? Because it sure did to me. The God of success doesn't have any problems finding followers. He's attractive. He's compelling. He's charismatic. He walks into our everyday rat race world and shows us what life could be like at the top. It's what he offers is hard to ignore. He offers applause 
that makes life sweet. And he, <clears throat> he gives us the, uh, the satisfaction, I guess, of knowing that we uh, did it the way we wanted to do it, which is pride. Um, <clears throat> anybody ever heard the song, My Way? <laughs> I thought this might be a good crowd for that song. If I was teaching the youth, that might not be so good. Um, that song would probably be an anthem for this lesson. But at the end of the song, the last stanza of it, if you don't know the words, Carrie, you're too young to know this. <laughs> it says, For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he is not. Not to say the things that he truly feels and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show I took all the blows and I did it my way. Is that the way we want to live? I mean, I've taken a lot of blows before, but I wouldn't say it was doing it my way. <laughs> the gods of success are all about our personal achievements. The awards that we chase, the trophies we get, um, all of this is uh, the gods of success um, makes it easy for us to keep score because we can look at the title on our business card, we can look at the office where we're at, we can look at the square footage of our homes, we can look at all this stuff and we can say, that's, I'm successful. I've, I've got all the trappings of what success is. He alluded to it in the video, and we're going to kind of go there right now, in Mark, uh, the, cha the 10th chapter. Mark 10, 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. 
all things are possible with God. I guess the first obvious question to ask here is, are any of us rich? Might be an easier question to answer, are any of us not rich? Would anybody in Africa consider anybody in this room poor, Benita? (laughs) No, I mean, most of us, there are only a few of us that walked here tonight. Most of us drove. We'll go to a place that's fairly warm tonight. We've, we've got it. We've, we are rich. And so this parable should speak to us. So the, the man asks, he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The author of the book, he focuses on the word inherit, uh, saying that it's uh, translated to, to acquire something or to earn something. Um, to add something to add to his resume, so to speak. But when I read that, I want to focus on a different word. I want to focus on the word I, because that's, that's what his concern was. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And for the rich young ruler, uh, salvation is kind of the award. He's, an, he's a successful person. He's an achiever. Uh, worshiping, worshiping the gods of success isn't just about secular accomplishments, though. Um, we can look at job titles, social status, but I would, I would posit here that one of the most common gods, at least that we in this assembly would uh, fall to, would be the, 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 the success in the worship of religious rules. And we put our trust in the mastery of following rules, of rule keeping. Anybody find that to be true in your own life? I can find a scripture to show you, so I know what the rule is, right? But does that make God my Savior? Does that make my interpretation of his rules my Savior? And I think for, for our, for our uh, fellowship, for our heritage, I think that's been a huge uh, issue that we tend to follow. We're successful in our ability to keep rules. The God of success invites us to save ourselves instead of depending on Jesus to do it. And this may be one of the reasons that people that are most successful, it's hard for them to come to Jesus and to follow what he has to say because, well, for one thing, do I really need a Savior? I've got everything that I need, right? I mean, that's, that's a, certainly a uh, problem in our culture. Being a devoted disciple means that we must acknowledge our own helplessness and the, ulti- the ultimate need that we have of rescue. And it's not easy for successful people to admit that they need help. Uh, in the book, he, he quotes a couple of uh, popular uh, figures. Um, says Bill Mayer, the TV pundit, says of the crucifixion, I just don't get it. The thought of someone else cleansing me from my sins is ridiculous. I don't need anyone to cleanse me. I can cleanse myself. And then another 
uh, Warren Buffett, after donating 85% of his $44 billion to charity, would say there, there is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. So when, when we look at kind of the perception that the world has of followers of Jesus, um, success in the world's view does not um, make sense when, to what success in, in Christ is. In our society, what makes sense to us is you earn it. You get what you pay for. Our economic system is based on, on that. It's all about getting, getting yours. The problem with that is, when it comes to guilt, sin has put us in a pretty deep, financial, or pretty deep debt. We're hopelessly lost, and we can never be successful enough to erase that debt. There's not enough good deeds, there's not, not enough donations in the world to buy even an ounce of the purity that we need. In God's, in God's economy, success only comes when we declare spiritual bankruptcy. And when we go back to the rich young ruler, um, when he asked what should he do, Jesus said, you know the commands. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. I think this is exactly what this guy wanted to hear. Don't you? I mean, what's his response? I'm set. I've been doing this since I was a boy. Right? There you go. Be at Wednesday night Bible study. <laughs> but Jesus drops a big bomb on this guy. He says, one thing you lack... Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Is this what Jesus tells everybody? He didn't tell Zacchaeus that, did he? Zacchaeus kind of came to that on his own, fortunately. But Jesus didn't tell Zacchaeus to sell, sell everything and give to the poor. But I think Jesus was able to look into this guy's heart and see where his idol was and to see what was holding him back from following God. Don't you think we need to get rid of self? I pray that we need to get rid of self. Yeah, get rid of self. To, we're, we're told to die to ourselves, uh, offer our bodies living sacrifices. And we keep crawling back off the altar. So I think there's a lot of, you're, you're getting ahead of me, Betty. That's, that's kind of the last lesson in this series is, is the God of self. <laughs> but we'll get there, and it's an important one. Alan, going back to what you said about Jesus knew what was in his heart. In the list of things that Jesus mention to him about the commandments, he doesn't mention, you shall have no other gods before me. So he knew that his possessions he was keeping before God. And he wanted to see if he would step into that. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. I love your optimism. <laughs> yeah. when Jesus looks at this uh, successful young man, he sees the Lord on the, throne, on the throne of his heart. And just like he does in the other, some of the other temples that we've looked at, Jesus puts himself in direct conflict with the idol that this guy is worshiping. And he says, you choose. Keep your money or give it away and come follow me. And the young man couldn't do it. It says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. It was interesting to me that, and when you just read it in Scripture, there's, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of time that he takes to ponder it over and say, hmm, let's weigh the pros and cons here. It was like he already knew where his allegiance was, was at. The rich young ruler had come to define himself by his success and accomplishments, whether it would be in the area of finances or area of commandment keeping. He was pretty proud of both. He knew that no matter how much he wanted to follow Jesus, there was a price he would not pay and a God he could not overthrow. And when you look at this, this verse out of context, it sounds kind of funny because it says, he went away sad because he had great possessions. Right? I mean, doesn't that sound kind of odd? But it's sad because he had too much to give up. He owned so much that it actually owned him. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I think it was hard on Jesus for this guy to walk away because I mean, the verse says Jesus looked at him and loved him and told him what he needed to do. But when you look at Jesus' response, he didn't treat it as a negotiation to say, wait, wait, did I say everything? If you just give some of that to me, we'll be good. No, it, that's not the way it went. And for a lot of us, I think we look at standing before God without a a nice resume, kind of unthinkable. We want to be able to show him how much good we've done, how successful we've been, um, how, how worthy we are. But really, what he wants from us, I think, is that we, cut, we give it away and say, none of this means any, or at least we have the attitude of, none of this means anything to me at all. I lay it down before you. You, Lord, are my success. So, 
Any comments here? Yeah, right. Yeah, Job is a perfect example. I mean, and he even, he emphasizes in the video that money is not good or bad. It just is. And it's, it's our attitude towards it that can make it uh, either something that we can use for God's glory or something that we can, that can be used against us to draw us away from God. Did, it, did anybody, when you're watching the video and he talked about that uh, he went to a church that the gospel was preached often and and when he was seven, he went down the aisle and prayed with the pastor and um, was forgiven. Anybody think anything about that? Because I sure did. It's like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> right? I mean, am I the only one that thought that? But then I, when I thought about it and I was watching, I thought, you know, that's probably my idol right there is because I, it has to be my way for somebody to be a follower. And so that doesn't follow the prescription that I know of, and so that's not right. But did, did anybody feel that way? That was kind of struck me as odd. But, but then when I look at myself, it's like, well, I know what the Scripture says, and I'm a, I'm a successful person when it comes to interpreting the Word of God. Aren't we all? It was, just, it was just one of those things, that's kind of an aside to the lesson, but it was kind of one of those things that kind of struck me a little bit that how that we are so quick to have an ah, a gas moment at something like that, and yet we it's our following our own idols sometimes that causes us to do that. Well, I will say this. Number one, I'm glad I don't judge anybody since it's not my job. It is interesting to me, uh, no, not interesting, puzzling, that people use a prescription such as that, it's not in scripture, it's just not, so I don't have to judge that, but I, I sure wouldn't give someone that prescription if they were asking me. What do I do to be safe? I would not give them the sinner's prayer because I don't see it. It's not a scripture. Right. Yeah, I mean, when I, read, when I read my Bible, it says that those that are believed are baptized, and that's what I'm going to teach people to do. But on the other side of that, like you said, it's not my job to judge them. And so I think we... I think we have to do what we know is right, but I think we also have to recognize that we don't know everything. Yeah, Keith. I think we still, even though we know our salvation is not based on rules, there's no rule against having money, but it's how we serve God. We can be wealthy, we can be poor. It, it doesn't account, it doesn't mean we've got heaven either rich or poor. It's how we use what we have. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I know people that are pretty poor that worship money. I mean, that, that's not a rich person's disease. <laughs> 
but that it can certainly uh, is something that can be a temptation for us, uh, no matter whether we have a lot, a little, or a lot. And uh, I don't know where I heard it—the prayer, a prayer that, Lord, give me, uh, don't give me so much that I forget you and curse your name, and don't give me so little that I st- have to steal and defame your name. And so that's, that's, that's kind of a good way to look at money. It's not something that we worship. It's what God decides uh, to give us, decides that we, can, that we can use in his glory. And I think that's the way it is with all of these things is, is how are we going to use this uh, to worship God? Anything else, and we'll call it an evening. I, I agree with everything you said. Um, do you have any advice on how? How to not worship money? Um, well, in our, yeah, in our society, it's, it's become so difficult for most people because that's where we draw our identity is, is by what we have. Or, or don't have. And so it's a matter of giving that up. And I think, um, I think a lot of the things that the guy in the video said were very good as far as uh, praying to God, going into our closet and saying, hey, I don't know what you want from me here, but this is something that I struggle with and I make it clear. And I think that he will honor that. Benita? <laughs> Thank you all for being here. Um, this lesson was, was on success, and so money and success are kind of tied. Next week's is money, and so that will be a little more of a continuation of what this one was, I think. So come back next week and encourage us. Thank you for being here. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.